there's a red moon rising, a red blood moon rising. Hello, this is the Ya 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 Nene Ne podcast, where we're listening to artist contributions and to excerpts from our archive. My name is Arif. My name is Ratna. And it's snowing outside, Ratna. I'm very excited about it. We uh, thought of snow already planning to record in this episode, but then there was no snow yet. And in the second that we turn on the microphone, it starts to snow. Amazing. I think it's a sign. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know what to say, but I think, luckily, we got a voice message. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of speechless here. I mean, it depends from where you are listening, because uh, maybe in some places it's not so rare that it's snowing, but here it's becoming, in Amsterdam, it's becoming more and more rare. Um, I have to say that this, the the snow flakes, no. Flakes. Flakes. The snowflakes are very, uh, very tiny. Um, so I hope they will grow during this episode. Um But indeed, we have a voice message. Um, I asked uh, Susan Koy about a voice message. And uh, she's an artist I met some years ago in uh, the Baarsjes. That's the neighborhood where I live in Amsterdam, um, where she started uh, uh, an art space um, with a collective called uh, KI Beyoncé, Kunstenaars Initiative Beyoncé or Artist Initiative Beyoncé. Amazing name, I think. It was a great name and it was in a former like snack bar, like a, a corner store. And uh, yeah, it was quite a special place. I'm not sure how long it lasted. Maybe one year, something like that. I think I've seen a few shows there. Yeah, it felt longer maybe. I just remember they had uh, some like waterfall with a cocktail or something. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was nice. I remember going to the basement and seeing a performance where two of my friends were enlisted uh -huh. by Nadia Foham. I see. Yeah. Good times. Good times there in the Barshes. And um, so I had to think of Suzanne uh, for a voice message. And then she said, oh, that's nice. Uh, I'd like to make a contribution um, with another project of hers, um, Echo and Seashell. And that's um, a duo Uh, of Susan Koy and Hannah Huvarinen. Um, they are both artists, but they also make music under this name. And for the voice message, they did a combination of lyrics from their two hit songs in naked form. And the title is quite long. Um, it's That's because lately I've been sleeping on a sofa and I'm chilling with a hottie and she's really into yoga, my baby. We were listening... To Weezer, when you got some sort of a seizure, I took a breezer from the freezer. I touch your arm, you're still warm. We're alive together at the same time, sleeping every night next to Aphrodite, the modern day version with better features. I lost my seashell in the harbor of your blue Smirnoff eyes. 
hormones in the sea, muscles on my portfolio, swimming into the mouth of doom, digital suicide, ancient bubbles, all the fishes in the sea will die eventually. In this lump of stone, I cut a sexy little sculpture of my boy. Modeled after this picture of you, sitting on an early humanoid gravestone in a private stonehenge. I whisper, I'm not a hater. I love the equator. Sure, I miss the fries. But nothing compares to a Lion King sunrise, white lies and hyenas. I'm neither classic nor classy. Got paint all over my pussy. I create with a sense of ritual. This is not me holding the brush. This is pure fire making a mural. Thinking of a symbol for a broken heart in the dark. It's a cold, hard croissant. Stars look fucked from the new year. Blanco never believed in black pages. This past is turning me crazy. Remember when I was a baby? Your eyes like pure milk and hot choco. Two moons close to each other. Wavy, solid and sharp. Hard rock art. A lady decadente. Me invited to her party al dente. Me got the trend, set the status. Never out of date, our ancestors had it hard. No market for that rock art. No CVs on fire, it's too cool in here. Torture me with bubbles and cider. You wish to invest in a piece of me, into a new suicidal tangy beep. So you just listened to uh, Echo and Seashell, and they are also working on new material at the moment. Um, they're working on a mixtape about child prodigies titled The Youth is Getting Older. And they also send us a little bonus sound excerpt from the mix as a teaser. I like Mozart because he's kind of like me and I'm kind of like him. It's still snowing and it's growing increasingly white on this flat roof that I can see from your studio, Radna, because exceptionally we're recording in your studio and not in our studio in the old church. So we have quite a different view here on the third floor overlooking some part of Amsterdam East at the moment. And it's quite beautiful. I'm so happy it's snowing, actually. I'm getting into the mood for the for the next part of this episode, actually. Yeah, me too. We're going to listen to Seel Mogamida Haas tell a winter story about wolves. And it's absolutely fitting because... I'm looking out of your window and there are these sort of moments where the snow seems to be going up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because of the wind. The story Seal is telling is, is quite slow and really beautiful. And I think earlier you said it would be perfect for sitting around a fire. Yeah, so I think when you're, I mean, maybe people are listening uh, while they're in the train or on, on the move. But if you're home... Maybe have a nice uh, soup or a hot chocolate and <laughs> turn up the heating and um, take time for this beautiful story. 
Yeah, so here we go. This is Seo Mogamida Haas, recorded at the Reichs Academy 2018. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine. I'm a bit tired, <laughs> like all of us, I imagine. But I'm extremely tired. You're more tired <laughs> than the others? I'm more tired than the others, because I mopped the floor yesterday evening <laughs> ah. at four o'clock in the morning. Was there a lot to mop? There was a lot and a lot to mop indeed. It was very, 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 very dirty. <laughs> but we had a good party just next door. So, uh, yeah, I'll try to do my best and uh, be as uh, concise and precise as possible. Well, you're already uh, doing it. So I have a radio voice well. at least. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. It's also your second year, so I thought maybe that's why you were tired, but it's more because of yesterday night. No, I'm also tired because of the amount of work we had uh, in order to prepare the Reichs Open. Uh, yeah, like uh, all this together, mm -hmm. build it up to a, a really heavy moment. I think I will, I will sleep forever next week. <laughs> Last year you had a, um, a bit of a hidden studio in the Manege mm -hmm. with, um, I think, four uh, pens having yeah. a conversation. Yeah, um, maybe listeners might remember. I think it was very memorable. They were speaking to each other. Yeah, um, some of them had voices from some of the residents or former residents. Yeah, I, I, uh, the the voices were all like friends that were residents at the time. Yes, mm -hmm. or no, actually there was also a voice of the girlfriend of a resident. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and um, and this year you moved down a few. Studios, you're still in the manager. Uh -huh. You have two studios that are facing each other, mm -hmm. and there are also two screens facing each other in mm -hmm. those studios. Mm -hmm. And one of them shows a wolf, mm -hmm. and she's smoking a cigarette, mm -hmm. and she's telling a really sad story, also mm -hmm. a very beautiful story that almost made me cry. Mm -hmm. I went there in the morning, and uh, I didn't have enough coffee, and I was like sucked into the story. So I was wondering if you would want to tell us a little bit about that story yeah I can give it a try I mean the story is told by uh, somebody that is very dear to me my wife was a musician and she she read that story and it's the first take basically of that uh, of that story and indeed uh, just like you said it's a sad story and she broke in tears at the end uh, yeah you'll understand why in a second well basically it's a rather simple story it's um there's a harsh winter, it's 1903, in the French Alps, and uh, all the animals of the Alps are very, very cold and very, very hungry. Birds are dying, that's food for bears and wolves, but not enough. So we're following a group of wolves that decide to, um, that decide to get some more uh, yeah, just decide to get some more food. And um, there's a group of six wolves uh, that just uh, leave, leave the rest of the pack. Uh, one group goes to uh, the south of France and the other group goes to the uh, Swiss Jura. Jura, I don't know how to say that in, in English. Well, it's uh, uh, a series of mountains in, in Switzerland and in France also that bleeds in France or that bleeds in Switzerland. And um, we're following three wolves. 
that head to the uh, to the Swiss Jura. And um, they're very, 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 very hungry. It's very, very, very cold. And uh, they find nothing. And they decide to go closer to uh, a village. And um, uh, they succeed in killing a couple of animals. It's uh, a dog here and a goat there and a veal here. And one day they got a bit too close to a farm and the villagers had been warned that there were a group of wolves, uh, you know, stalking around. And uh, they threw axes and shot a couple of bullets and killed two wolves. And the th one is like shot in the neck and the other one in the back or something like that. And um, the third wolf is uh, injured but manages to escape. And uh, it's a very beautiful, young muscular lean wolf anyway it runs to the forest hides for a couple of days um, uh, builds up some 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 strength and uh, decides to continue on his journey for food and goes to another village and uh, again there he's welcomed by a group of villagers and uh, peasants and um, he gets uh, shot but uh, he manages to escape another time but he's deadly injured. So he uh, runs to, there's a mountain in front of him, and he decides to, uh, to climb it, and it's very steep, and he's very, uh, he's very, he's very, he's very weak. And uh, he reaches the top of the mountain and decides to uh, lay down, uh, lay by a tree. Like he chooses uh, one beautiful evergreen and he just lays at the, uh, the bottom of it and um, is preparing to die. And uh, the, the sun is setting. There's a red moon rising, a red blood moon rising. And uh, he sees that and he looks at the landscape from the top of the mountain and it's, uh, everything is red. And then he hear uh, footsteps. It's the villagers that uh, have followed his track. And uh, they see him and they shout and uh, he could just can't move, he looks at them and uh, they fire two shots and the two shots miss, uh, miss him. But they see he's very weak. They see he's very weak. Uh, so uh, they come closer to him and they um, hit him with... Uh, sticks and clubs and they break all his bones he doesn't feel anything and he dies and then they drag his body to the to the next uh, town saint Imier, and uh, they want to celebrate they want to you know like uh, it's a big thing for them and basically the kind of like uh, moral we could say or kind of the spiritual moral of the story is that the villagers didn't even see the beautiful landscape and uh, the red blood moon and the reflection uh, uh, of the you know of that light of that red light in the barrel of the guns and in the eyes of the dead wolf and uh, it's a kind of the story of um, interspecies uh, 
communication relation failure. Um, so yeah, that's the story. And it's uh, based on a short story of uh, Hermann Hesse, uh, written in 1903, uh, that I found in a, in a collection of, um, of, um, of short stories. I was just uh, researching uh, short stories. Uh, and I remember that Hermann Hesse wrote a Steppenwolf, and then I found that there was like a proto-version of the Steppenwolf, like a short story, which was like uh, something like a proto prototype for the for the novel and then in that collection of short stories i found also the wolf and then basically what was happening i was writing a, a story myself but then when i read that story it basically was saying everything i wanted to say <laughs> in a much more uh, mm, yeah imaginary way it really functioned well so um for the time being, I will use that story uh, until I can, uh, yeah, until I will uh, develop the project uh, further. And yeah, so what you see is basically, so in the two, there is one screen in each of the two spaces that I'm showing in, and two screens are really, they are really facing each other. So one screen is in one room and the other screen is in the other room, and in between the two rooms there is a small corridor. And the wolf, indeed, with a wolf with a cigarette in its mouth, uh, the wolf is speaking French and the wolf is a she-wolf. Sorry, I'm saying wolf all the time, but it's actually a she-wolf. And in front of the she-wolf there is a, um, a female figure, uh, uh, kind of in a weird kind of like unconscious dream state. Uh, she's an elderly woman, uh, she's naked, uh, you see her breast, and she has blood around her mouth, um, like she has just been fasting on some raw meat, I don't know. <laughs> and she has, she has her eyes closed and she's um, humming uh, a song. And basically what happened, I said earlier that my wife lent her voice to the wolf. And my, I'm, you know, I'm talking about my wife now on the radio. <laughs> She's a, she's a musician, she's a singer, uh, and I am not, obviously. And um, what was happening, while we were recording, uh, there were some moments where she had to, where she had to uh, wait a little bit. And um, there was, I had this book with me, uh, it's a book by Barry Lopez, it's called On Wolves and Men. And in that book there is a, um, there is a, a score. Like it's an anthropologist, so there's a lot of documents in there, and there is this score, and uh, that one score uh, is legend. The legend of that score is the Navajo's Black Wolf Dance. It's a dance they perform and uh, sing also, obviously before going on the hunt, uh, because they learn their hunting techniques from the wolves. So they, and what it, what happened is that she was basically she found that uh, score and she she can decipher the music. I can't, and she started to hum. It went like this. It's not as beautiful as the way she sings it. But um, what was also interesting in that, so I recorded her and then I kind of like uh, put that uh, recording on top of the uh, lady with the blood around her mouth that is, that is standing there naked. And I will tell you why she's naked as well. 
And then, oh, okay, so I recorded her. And what is interesting in that song is that um, it takes the same harmonics as the howling of the wolf. So there's a specific, uh, there's a specific, uh, there's a specific harmonics in the howling of the wolf. It's very precise. Their language is very is very precise. They have a lot of things to say, obviously. Um, so yeah, that's what she's doing, and that's what she's singing, and she's naked because there is something that like we don't really know. Um, we don't really know who, who, who that person is. Like she's, in my eyes, she's a werewolf. But it, it, maybe she is the wolf that is dying on top of the mountain, and there is this strange. There is this story that basically a werewolf has to undress before the transformation. So if you find some clothes in the forest uh, abandoned. It might be it might belong to a werewolf, and if you take away those clothes, he will never be able to transform back into a, a human. So in that sense, she's like maybe lost in limbo. She can't transform back, or she can't. I mean, it's like she's just a very mysterious figure. Uh, not not very mysterious, but she's this. Um, yeah, this. Uh, yeah, this. Uh, in between figure, um, yeah. So it's a lot about wolves, indeed. There's also ceramics. Maybe I can talk about that quickly because the title is also referring to uh, werewolves. It's it. Uh, the, there, so there's a series of ceramics on the on, on small tables, and uh, representing wolves. And the ins there is also like a like a like a face basically that is like carved into into the ceramics. So it has it is at the same time a wolf and a human figure, kind of um, Wallace and Gromit uh, cartoonesque <laughs> figure. <laughs> and, you were uh, saying, oh, I'm sorry. No, but the, uh, just to give a hint about the title, it, 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 it says, uh, uh, never trust a man whose eyebrows meet, because that's also the sign of a potential werewolf, mm. when a man has um, his, eye, his eyebrow uh, meeting. And now should make a link to, to, to... No, I just had a question, actually. Okay. Like an improvised question okay. that you have sometimes. Yeah. No, I was wondering, because you said you were working on a text and uh -huh. you were writing, and then you found out about this story, mm -hmm. and then you thought, wait, this is maybe the story uh, that is saying so much what I actually wanted to say. When you were writing initially, uh -huh. was it already relating to wolves? It, it was relating to wolves, yeah. And why mm. is this wolf so... As a as a figure, so so interesting to you. Yeah, well, that's maybe <laughs> that's a complicated uh, story, and I tried to explain it earlier, and I totally failed. But it's related to the to the story of the pens that you were mentioning before. So it's a sequel, basically, of the pen movies. So first of all, I had these pens, right? Talking. Uh, obviously, pens are related to storytelling, uh, literature, fiction. Uh, and I wanted something that was not a pen, but something else. And then I thought a wolf. But I mean, you're like, what the fuck? Why didn't she choose like I don't know, paper note or computer or I don't know, keyboard or whatever? <laughs> but, we, but the wolf is also very much related to storytelling. I mean, there's always been stories about uh, wolves as early as stories have been, you know, told around the fire, maybe even told by 
Comagnon. <laughs> you see that link that I made just now? <laughs> You're all seeing it. <laughs> Especially Arif is seeing it, I think. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I was waiting for the Comagnon, but maybe um, we can sidestep okay. really briefly yeah. because. Um, Well, earlier I was saying that I almost had to cry in your studio. I always, <laughs> also have to laugh uh -huh. because there's, uh, there are of course the masks and there are the videos. But there are also these, uh, I guess, panels or mm -hmm. pan, not really painting sculptures. They are more sculptures. Yeah, yeah. they are three D works. Mm -hmm. Even if they look indeed like two D works at the end, and um, they are pretty funny. There, yeah. there's one with a girl reading a book or mm -hmm. maybe uh, to me it was more like a menu mm -hmm. of Hotel Comagnon mm -hmm. and they're like melting pizza slices in the air on top of her and these panels are usually fixed with like individual quite crazy caps like mm -hmm. a bottle cap mm -hmm. for example it's like fixating into the wall mm -hmm. and I was yeah I was wondering what would be in the menu there and the menu of Hotel Comagnon I don't know maybe some berries Some deer, I don't know, row for sure. Oh no, 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 not row. No, 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 no. They started. Uh, they, they they made good use of fire already then, back then. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Maybe you can explain what uh, what Cro-Magnon is actually. Ah, Cro-Magnon, yeah, Cro-Magnon. So Cro-Magnon is um, is our um, is our ancestor. <laughs> uh, It's uh, well, Hotel Cromagnon. Basically, that book that she's reading is a is a book by a a uh, American poet that I much adore, uh, called Clayton Eschenman. Uh, he's well known as a translator. He translated Sangor and Anton Artaud, among uh, many other. Uh, Octavio Paz, I think, as well. Anyway. But he's also a poet. He's a translator, but he's also a poet. And uh, his main poetic production was about uh, cave painting and trying to bridge the gap between him now and uh, the man or the woman or the child that uh, painted uh, on the... Um, on the um, On the cave, in the caves, uh, 10,000 to 36,000 years ago. Um, this summer, I went to visit a couple of them, and indeed, like that, relates a lot to what we will listen in a bit. So that sound piece called uh, "Le Grand Trou," which means the deep hole, with H O L E. <laughs> uh, which is actually a direct translation of Cro-Magnon, because Cro-Magnon and Occitan language, so that was the language spoken in the south of France, maybe up all the way to the, to the north of Italy, and that um, cro means then grand, big, large, and then uh, magnon is a hole, is a trou. So that's where basically uh, the first skeleton of that cro-magnon, so uh, our ancestor, was found, and so they named it after the, the that big hole where the skeleton was found, basically. Uh, like Neanderthal is also named after a valley, so it's just na it's geographical names basically. That um, and uh, yeah, so what Clayton Eschenman does, so bridging the gap between him and uh, the painters, the artists. I mean, the artist is a bit of a complicated name also because 
but um, is also the story of Le Grand Trou, the, the sound piece we will hear in a bit. Uh, and that is a, basically what you will hear is that the, the text is a translation of a text by another great uh, writer called Marguerite Durat. And some say Duras, but I really have to check that out because I'm pretty sure it's Durat and that you don't pronounce the S. And um, the text is called, that text is initially, it's a text, but it's also a movie. And I saw it in the form of a movie at first. It's called The Negative Hands, Les Mains Negatives. And um, it's basically the story of her addressing um, a man that lived 10,000 years ago and that left uh, traces. So she's trying to also bridge the gap between her now and the traces uh, left on the wall by someone, obviously, because they are uh, hands, so the, uh, those negative hands. Um, it starts in a very strange way, because basically she, she starts with making an error, because she says they call negative hands uh, the hands found... Um, think in Magdalenian caves in southern Atlantic Europe something like this, she starts like that and she says those hands were simply pressed upon the rock after having been soaked in color well that's a positive hand <laughs> and a negative hand is used like it's when you basically put your hand on the rock and you blow you put like pigment in your mouth and you blow on the, your hand and then it leaves the trace of a, of a, of a hand so she starts her story by uh, making a, mis a mistake. But maybe it's all related to the story itself and to the, how the movie is also made. Because the movie is very bizarre. It's one of those experimental movies. Basically what you see is it starts with a... just It's, it's a car ride between two places in Paris at... Uh, mm, at, at down. No, not down. What's in the morning when the sun is... Dusk. Is it, dusk. No, dusk is in the evening. Then, and it's, dawn. Dawn. then dawn. it's dawn. Then it's dawn, yeah. At so dawn. Nice. So at dawn, a car, a car starts riding and uh, it's filming uh, outside. Um, and you don't see anything because it's pitch black. From time to time, you see street lights and uh, car lights. And, and the movie is about 15 minutes. And she moves from, she starts at Bastille. And she goes to Arc de Triomphe, and that takes about 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, the sun is rising, and there is light. And with light, there is something that is imprinted on the film. So it starts with her telling that story about the negative hands, which are actually positive hands, and addressing this man and saying how much she you who stand there in front of the sea, I love you. She says directly to him that she loves him. And uh, so it starts in a complete darkness and it ends with a couple of lights. And when lights appear, you also start to see, you also start to see certain, certain things. And then you start to make associations uh, with what you hear and what you see. So she talks at some point about the petrified forests of Europe that are standing behind this man, you know, that she has, uh, that she's addressing, so Cro-Magnon. <clears throat> and then you see the columns of Rue Rivoli in Paris, which has all these columns. 
And then you start to make this association. It's really weird. And then she talks about this giant white specter, and then you pass by a by a you know like a, a statue on Place de la République, you know, like something like this. And then it, um, yeah, it's all this. Yeah, it's this weird. It's this really interesting thing happening between what you see and what you hear. And uh, I was quite fascinated by that. And um, I um, I worked on it for for a while, and I made the first piece called The Age of the Reindeer that you can also hear in uh, Anna Maria's program. Which Sometime later this weekend. Sometime yeah. later this weekend. We don't know exactly and when, then, but it will appear. <laughs> and then, uh, and then um, this is basically a sequel for a small publication that I was asked to make that had to relate to that sound piece, which, The Age of the Reindeer, which also takes as its core, as its base, like the text of Dura, The Negative Hands. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that's uh, that's it really in terms of I, I believe. Yeah. Are we going to have a listen? Yeah, absolutely, right? Thank no, you. No, uh, more. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Thank you for and, uh, inviting me. Sharing the story also. Thanks. Oh, 
Seal Mogami the Haas at the Reichs Academy in 2018. Go to yaya.com for more shows and send us an email at info at yaya.com if you have any feedback. <laughs>